Hi guys, welcome to episode six. I hope with our new forms of distribution on the website, we had much more listeners last week for episode five. I know we did because we, we have hopefully we'll get around to doing a podcast at some point, which soon, we're, trying soon. To, we're trying to get done. Uh, happy birthday, Brandon. This is a, a, a monumental moment in your life for your birthday. Why? Because I'm because you're a year older. I don't know. <laughs> Walt's not a not a birthday guy, as we no. know. Yes. I think at our ages, none of us are really birthday guys anymore. Did you reflect back on life and look forward or anything like that, or did you just did you get a birthday cake, a COVID cake? I, I I did have birthday. I had a few birthday cakes this year, which is weird because I usually don't have a birthday cake at all because I'm almost always on the road on my birthday. Did you blow out the candles? Yeah. Um, I try to do it in a COVID friendly way though. So well, my it, birthday, I like to wait, try wait, and how hide. Do you, wait, wait, how do you do that actually? How do you not spit as you blow? So what, what I did was I lowered myself down and blew and I blew upwards so that the candles went out on an up angle so that the people eating the cake wouldn't be exposed to my potential COVID self. Because I, I personally find it very difficult. I find it very difficult to blow through plexiglass. I, I've seen you try to walk glass. through plexiglass before, right? That is true. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get started. What's our what's the first well we always start with comedy, so we'll start with a little bit of comedy. There's a lot of tragedy now, so maybe we should. Monkey Brandon, explain what this is with COVID-19 test samples after attacking lab assistant. Okay, <laughs> this is Planet of the Apes. That's what it is. Oh my God, I didn't actually read that headline until now. Okay. You're talking about this thing about the monkey tweet. <laughs> what I, the I, fuck? <laughs> I think I think I honestly I, did not read that headline until now. What the put that back? I think the monkeys <laughs> see vulnerability in the human population now, and they're ready to take advantage and spread COVID everywhere, rise up, and take over the planet. It's planet I, of the apes. I believe this happened in India where monkeys stole samples, ingested the samples, and now they're worried about it spreading, I guess, in India. Can monkeys get COVID? I have no idea. This is way beyond my knowledge base right. on the health side. We'll Google that later. I'm surprised it only got 52 retweets. Uh, a, yeah, I don't know. Uh, let's go to the big news of the week. There, uh. there was literally no bigger news this week than Trump, um, I guess he's calling it censorship. Um, you know, I guess editing, Twitter would probably call it putting some context around tweets that they find problematic or worrisome. And, you know, just for some background here, uh, Twitter's been pushed pretty hard to call out Trump on some of his tweets, literally since Trump took office. And so the, the pushing of Twitter to do this isn't new. What's new is that Twitter actually did something this week. This is the first time where they've put a fact check and a policy violation notice on the president's tweets. And so that's the new news here um, coming out. Uh, and that sort of has um, really gotten everyone thinking about this, this whole situation, including the FCC wall. So Rich, the, but the, on that second tweet that you're showing there, um, there's, that's if you click 
what the banner was. The, That's it true. doesn't actually show Trump's President Trump's tweet unless you actually click and see that. So right, because Twitter has a policy against glorifying violence, and so you can't. I, I don't think. By the way, that's not just glorifying violence; that's calling for violence. Right. So Twitter has a policy. Yeah, that never mind call, the fact that it's racist, but we could, you know. But if you but if you literally call for violence, what they do is they make it just like if there's a disturbing image of blood, let's just say posted, you'll see that that's basically hidden until you click view image, and you basically you're agreeing that this is a disturbing tweet or a disturbing image, and you're physically agreeing. Um, actively to view that tweet. And that's basically what they're doing here. They, they normally, I think, would have deleted something like this, but given that it's the president, they're leaving it up and just putting this. Right, but my, but my only point through. is that what we're showing here is not what you would actually see on Twitter. It's only if you click through. So what, what you would actually see on Twitter is something that just actually doesn't show the tweet. Anyway, so where this led to is obviously um, some uh, additional aggravation for the president. Um, doing an executive order, I think effectively calling for the Department of Commerce uh, run by Wilbur Ross to petition uh, a rulemaking to the FCC um, with regard to what's known as, what is it, Section 230, 230. Within, within the Privacy Act of 1996, I believe. Um, anyway, so if you kind of delve into that, um, there's individual sections within there that I think this pertains to, which I believe would be section C items one and two, which have two different subsections that yep. hopefully if you're on Zoom and not on our <laughs> podcast, because <laughs> they ain't going to read this. Um, section you know, one is pretty much irrelevant. That's just the protecting one. clause. Set, right. it, Right. So, section, so section one is basically like if you have a if you have a blog or whatever, and someone's making some crazy shit comments that you can't be held liable for their comments. So it's not relevant. I think what we're talking about here. Section two, Brandon, go ahead. Section two is any anything that any action that's that's taken. First of all, the key word there has to be done in good faith, which is something that the president is taking exception to. But it gives it gives the platform the ability to to filter out, edit, or restrict access to anything that's considered excessively violent, which I think applies here. Filthy, harassing, which could also apply here, um, or other or that's otherwise uh, objectionable. I guess the the one pushback would be. Twitter, and, and again, this is sort of the nuance here that I think makes this very complicated for regulators uh, and governments to deal with, is that they didn't actually remove the tweet. The tweet is still there in its original form, uh, especially the first tweet, they just added a disclaimer to. They didn't do anything to it. The second one, they actually, obviously, to Walt's point, they did hide it unless you click on it. But it's still there. And so, right, so, I, so I bring that up because Section 2B, which Brandon didn't get to, which is any action taken to enable or make available or others, the technical means to restrict access to material described in, in the paragraph. So I think right. you know, there could be some debate of whether that's restricting access if you're not actually seeing its tweet in, in its original form. But, but, but you can restrict access. It, give, it gives you the ability to do that. That's kind of what the point of, of Section 230 is. Sure. So the real question is, is whether or not they did it in good faith. And I, I don't know, Zuck hasn't commented on this, but he commented on the ballot issue. And he said, politicians should have the right to say whatever they want, but in the cases 
where you're spurring violence and so on and so forth. Um, that's really the only exception that, that politicians should be censored at all. It would be interesting to hear what Zuck has to say about this particular tweet as opposed to him speaking after the ballot tweet. Yeah, the only thing, I, the only pushback I'd have there, Brandon, is that, you know, Zuckerberg has certainly um, put lots of warning labels and, and disclosure around posts to Facebook that they were uncomfortable with. And he, you know, even talked about when he was oh. on CNBC yesterday, he talked very openly about the fact that, you know, it's critical to ensure fair elections. And the, 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 the mail-in ballot tweet was clearly about elections. And so it's, it's very murky where trying to, yeah, to understand he, what they're he tried to put a dividing line in there by by using the it was like almost an exception clause for politicians right. which is just you know it's almost like trying to back into the thesis right. you know ex post facto so let's talk about process here which is this is a part of legislation so there's been people tweeting stuff about removing it like i'm not sure how you remove legislation without other legislation, meaning something going to the House, or if it's somehow challenged in court. So if it's not a removal, as some people are um, talking about, this notice of proposed rulemaking is probably more about um, asking for an interpretation, again, of this um, 230C, 2A and B. Um, it's an interpretation, right? So then, right. and look, the chairman last night, I mean, Last night, um, Chairman Pai um, said the following. Again, so if the process is Department of Commerce run by Wilbur Ross, petition of rulemaking, effectively to interpret this rule. Chairman Pai's response was, the debate is an important one. The FCC will carefully review any petition for rulemaking filed by the DOC, right? So that seemed like, on the surface, anyone reading that was like, okay, Pai's punting on this, right? Doesn't, well, especially you know, because it's not clear that the government or the, F the FCC as an agency doesn't really have the power to enforce anything around no, this issue. They, you really need to go to court. I mean, that's the, the, the fundamental thing. Either is go to court really, or you need Congress to, <laughs> to change the statute. Either way. Well, that's yeah. not asking for them to enforce. It was a petition right, for right, rulemaking. You're, you're, so right. you're, you're saying that they can't do something that wasn't being asked for in the first place. So let's talk about the process that's happening, right? So they're asking for a interpretation of sections two or one whatever the letters were That's important. Um, yeah. look, again and 230 is vague 230 is a vague statute but, like but to let's be clear. take this one step at a time pi initially says like okay whatever i'll wait for the, the um, department of commerce and then we'll have to look at that and then the following morning i don't know if you have that tweet rich you can bring that up um he tweets that it's not obviously him saying that oh he's definitely going to do it but it's you know he's he's questioning twitter as a company not having done anything with um, whoever yeah. this is. It's, Kamini, it's, Supreme again, it goes back to good faith. He's saying what that Twitter is picking and choosing wh when they apply labels or try and edit something. And yeah, I mean, look at if you look at those tweets, yes, Twitter probably should, should have taken those, those tweets well, down. My point, Brandon, my point was that 
the night last night, it didn't seem like he was, it, it seemed like more of a generic response. Oh, we'll see what the DOC yeah. says. And then this morning, it's kind of like, well, like, why isn't, like, he's almost right. like, I he want to engage much more fired up. He seemed more fired up this morning than he did last night with that Commissioner statement. Carr as well is obviously engaging on Twitter and, and multiple news organizations wanting to engage on the issue. So we'll, we'll, the process, again, is going to be DOC, Department of Commerce, NTIA, whoever it is, notice for uh, a rulemaking to get an interpretation on it. So let's assume that they interpret this. Then what? Like, again, and, and to your point, the Brandon, there's no enforcement. Then it goes yeah. back to the administration, likely bar that has to sue. So my, my question on this is like, why are they even bothering with this process of the NTIA asking for rulemaking for an interpretation? Couldn't Bill Barr just effectively sue under this legislation anyway? In terms of thinking, I, saying I, that it wasn't done in good faith, because it because it's political, and they want a regulatory body to say that this that this is not right. What's being done, whether or not anything could be done about it, he just Trump just wants someone to back him up, or it's possible it creates noise for a week, and then he doesn't actually want it to actually go to court and have the attorney general or whoever make right. a suit and then get shut down in in court. Right. So when That's they right. announce 110,000 deaths, then there's something else. To <clears throat> but, you know, I still think one of the things that I'm struggling with is why now? You know, I think Jack's been pushed on this at Twitter for a long time. And it's just interesting that, you know, the election tweet, and maybe we're getting so close to the election, but something clearly triggered this because there has been a push for Twitter to take action, for Facebook to take action, et cetera. I mean, these are not new things that we're dealing with. It's just the fact that Twitter finally did something to the president, which they have not done over the proceeding. There's plenty of tweets, right, from the last three years that would have been just as inflammatory to put a label on or to put a warning on. They just, you know, think about Charlottesville or whatnot. Like, this is clearly something happened in their decision-making process where enough was enough and they put their foot down. At least it seems that way from the outside. Well, the group that's most motivated to have Twitter do something would be the DNC. Yep, for sure. So we're- It's not another, like another tech company is, unless Jack had this revelation moment, which could certainly be the case as well. Um, you know, everyone has their moments of when they want to do something. It's, it's well, and their breaking points too, right? In terms of just how much can you physically take in terms of abuse of the platform? Because if somebody else, if Brandon had tweeted what the president did last night, there's no doubt they would have shut down that tweet and just removed it from the whole system. Uh, I mean, this is a broad platform, dude. There's a lot of stuff on this platform that I'm sure you will be people surfacing over the next three days. Why didn't you do this one? Why didn't you do that one? Why didn't you do this one? Jack chose this one, this tweet by the president, and then the White House account right. to actually tag. There's plenty of other examples of people on both sides that they could have done this for, and they chose this one to start. Yep. The unless, I'm missing, unless I'm yeah. missing something. <laughs> and that they, that no, they the ballot one was, was a weird one to start with. I mean, if, if, if it was last night's <laughs> with, with the violent and 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 the thug comment i think that would have been you know a a, pro, a more widely accepted you're also running a company and you want to try and stay apolitical and, and you're telling me there's not something you can find on both sides to tag at the same time with like, all of the they... stuff that's on twitter that you couldn't find something on both sides to approach this and say like tit for tat or whatever it is let's let's talk hbo so 
Christina Warren uh, tweeted out, does it make you and Rich, meaning uh, you, Walt, and, and Rich, twitch to see the, all the hot takes and analysis by people that don't understand that HBO Max can't be viewed the same way as Disney Plus or Netflix because of its, in brackets, convoluted and at times competing end of brackets business structure because it makes me twitch. And I, I think what she's basically saying is like, you've got all these people saying, this thing is horrible. You've got HBO Go and HBO Now and HBO Max, and you've got, you know, this thing isn't on Roku or it's not available on Fire dude, TV. You had people also tweeting, tweeting reviews that hadn't even used the product. <laughs> We're saying that they didn't have original content. We're saying they couldn't do it. I mean, right. you download an app, you There's authenticate. There's plenty of original content. First of all, anyone that can't authenticate, I, I have to re-authenticate on my apps like every 30 days. It drives me <laughs> bananas. So if you can't, you don't know how to re-authenticate or download an app, and you're telling me you're you're streaming content. I mean, come on, dude. Right, and when you <laughs> see these when you see these people, you know, literally write that it was a hundred thousand downloads of HBO Max on day one. Sort of irrelevant when you have twenty five million. Forget about Amazon and Roku users of HBO, but you have twenty five million users installed upgradable them, apps. Yeah, that are instantly upgraded. Yeah. And, and, yeah, some of them may be upset that they can't get it on Roku or on Fire TV. I'm sure there's definitely HBO subscribers that are upset, but you know what? It works great on Fire TVs. If you have an Xbox or a PS3 or you have a, yes, a computer, there, there are lots of ways to get this product without having a, a Roku on our, an Amazon Fire. And my guess is at some point over the next couple of months, they're going to show up there. I mean, I can't imagine this battle lasts for months or indefinitely. Consumers are, it's very hard to keep content away from consumers. I mean, Brandon, you and I have lived through so many carriage battles in our lives covering media. Other than Charlie Ergen, who hasn't had the RSNs in a year, name for me one distributor, one platform. They, get, they have all been worked out. And, and I think this is, this is an important one, especially for Roku, um, because they want to pound their chest a little bit as the market leader and set some precedent. Oh, speaking of the market leader. 44% market share for Roku, eight for Apple. In terms of viewing hours, probably, right, is probably not devices. I think if you, if you look at this slide and, and you thought it was device distribution, it's interesting that Xbox has double the streaming hours as PlayStation when there's way more PlayStation units than Xbox units right now. So what, what is the market opportunity? How many households today have some type of connected TV? Is there a way for Apple to grow its share it's based, seven, based on the growth in the market? It's, I, I, the last stat I remember was about a year ago, and it had already crossed the 70% mark. So that's a pretty penetrated market. So if I'm Apple, it's a challenge to take my 8% share. I think they do care about having it. They can push their platform and the service side better if you're using your device. So this is probably an opportunity for them. The issue is if it's a penetrated market, you have Roku, how do you get that person to buy a $180 um, Apple TV with 4K? And if it's, it's, it's 150 even just for the HD version. I mean, they historically, when Comcast and Charter were entering the market, they were trying to tie in. They said, okay, Comcast, in order for you to buy an iPhone, you got to take our Apple TVs and sell those. So they, they made their attempt. That only got them to 8% share, so that didn't help them. There is, however, what, what would be interesting is 
I mean, there's a, a upgrade cycle happening. Obviously, COVID impacted upgrades again, but a lot of people expecting going to 5G. Verizon is, is increasing ad spend. T-Mobile's increasing ad spend. If I'm AT&T and I want people to buy my phones and HBO Max, like why not give users a free Apple TV whenever they buy a new iPhone? And I'm sure Apple would be on board with helping them finance that. It would be good for, for AT&T in terms of an additional incentive to grab customers during this big 5G upgrade cycle. I mean, it seems like an opportunity for Apple to grow that share from 8% to whatever. Oh, wait, wait. One of the things that's interesting, Walt, is when, when you think about what drove Roku originally, it was the fact that it was the only place that everything worked. Like originally, you couldn't get Amazon Prime. I mean, you, you literally couldn't get all the different services yeah. were, weren't available. It was true Switzerland. Correct. So Roku won by being Switzerland. Now yeah. that's all gone generally until this HBO Max issue developed. And so now what's actually ironic is that the only serve or the only streaming box that has everybody is actually Apple TV now because they have HBO Max. And so they actually have a marketing advantage to grow that 8% that they've never had before because they were always at a deficit relative to Roku, especially in the early days that I think contributed to that deficit in market share. I mean, price point matters too. And I think Big a time. lower price or a bundled price would go a long way. I mean, that's the problem though, 179 bucks. I mean, I get that it's a premium service and the box looks good, but like who sees the box when it's in the cabinet or in my case, Velcro to the back of my television. So you got to cut that price or somehow get uh, AT&T to help you out. Look, AT&T, remember, was Apple's original partner for the iPhone, right? The iPhone was exclusive to Apple from day one. Verizon has obviously grown their iPhone base a great deal, but like this is this makes a lot of sense for them to try and partner and and push this product going to the into well, the five G cycle. Yes, is app is the Apple TV device strategic to Apple? How strategic is it to Apple? I think everything is is generally is an offshoot of the iPhone, but look, the the valuation of of Apple is largely getting driven higher multiple wise based on the services business, right? And services, and maybe that's another thing they throw in for free, buy an Apple TV and get Apple TV plus and news and all these other things for free. So right. it's strategic to the extent that it gives them some power that when you power that thing up, they can drive those services to you. More services revenue means higher PE multiple, which is what the investors want right now. The other thing we used to talk about a lot with these devices was who is gonna own the living room? And for a while, that was that seemed to be strategic, and that that just went away. Is is there any more a battle to to win the living room? What do you think, Rich? Look, I, I think everyone wants more time in the day. If I'm Apple, I want you using my products and services. And sure, Apple TV Plus is available on a Roku, but there's no way on a Roku that you're getting used as much as other things on a Roku box. And so. If I'm Apple, I want you using my interface first. And I want you being a, a, everything Apple from your phone to in your, your TV in their device. device. Well, what about Comcast? Didn't they want people using it through their box as well? They were putting Netflix yeah. through there. So what happened to that? I look, I mean, the flex boxes, they can't keep in stock. I mean, people are definitely using those flex boxes like crazy. They want to control. Even if you get rid of your cable box, they still want you using their quote unquote hockey puck, not an Apple TV or, or others. Uh, and look, Comcast's hockey puck, you know, their flex box has HBO Max. And so for so all So where does those, that fit into those numbers of that chart that you put up? They're not, Comcast X1 is not listed on, on there anywhere. So how does that number fit in? 
because it's not technically a third party. You know, that's part of the – it needs to be. And my guess is it's a rapidly growing part of that ecosystem. Okay, so it's possible that Comcast, which has whatever the number of customers are that have HBO, that there's an overlap with Roku. So these people freaking out that Roku is 40% share of the viewer, maybe that, that person also has a Comcast box that they can watch HBO Max on, so they don't necessarily need to download it onto the Roku. Uh, it, there may be plenty. I mean, look, there's people that probably that may have a flex in one room and a Roku in another. Like we have, you know, you don't know how all of this stuff actually yeah, fits together yeah. in the, in the jigsaw I have puzzle. Both. <laughs> and to be fair, I don't remember, have flex, but I have a Roku and an Apple TV. And, and remember, you can get a flex for free. <laughs> if you're a Comcast sub, you get a flex for the first flex is free. So, right, Brandon, there's no benefit to you to have, or any of us to have like the same device in every single room. So it's possible no, it, you could have, Roku, you could, and look, you could have Roku in one room and, and an Apple TV in the next. It's, it's irrelevant. I mean, yep. all, all the, point. the cloud services are all based around the app. So if <laughs> I don't need to have a Roku in one room and an Apple TV and another Roku in the other to pause <laughs> Uh, HBO and what, pick it up in the other room. It's just so it's, possible, so it's possible that some consumer has, look, they have it on their Apple, their iPad. People watch a lot of content on their iPad. They watch content on their phone. They can watch it through the Comcast box. So the risk to Roku then is like, they realize, oh my God, HBO Max is actually something pretty good. This user experience that Apple's giving me good. Maybe that's the displacement that they have, especially if AT&T can come in and, and subsidize the purchase. And, you know, Roku may be risking some, some device share here. And that's the last thing that I'm sure that they would want. Look, at the end of the day, no one yeah, ever blames them. CBS goes dark on, on Charter. Nobody ever blames CBS. I mean, you know, our investment world, obviously, you know, we look at that issue. But the consumer never blames CBS. They always blame the The, that'll ultimately be the breaking point is if they just can't, they get frustrated with the level of dissatisfied customers. That's where you probably see a deal get done. Is, at there, some a, point is, is, is there a call number for HBO Max? I'm not sure if they even have anywhere nah, to I call. Know. I don't even know how you would do People that. People will be, be tweeting fair. angrily at them perhaps. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about uh, fans. Brandon, why don't you take this? Texas Governor Greg Abbott has issued a revised order. Not only will professional sports leagues be allowed to resume play in June, but outdoor stadiums will be allowed to host fans up to 25% of their capacity. Okay, so a, a couple of things here. One is um, on the sports side, and this goes to the second tweet, where everyone was wondering um, how stadiums are going to look empty. Now perhaps you have an opportunity to, to have fans in the seats. I'm sure Texas, while they're the leader, is, is not going to be the only one um there we know texas is playing football in college we, we heard that a couple of weeks ago so now you can have fans watching you play college football for yeah. sure so that's number one and then number two you start to think about what the impact is um on on gates and uh the economic impact and baseball is has a big problem right now because and and what i will get to this later um, but the gate is such a big part of their total revenue stream. So perhaps for the Texas teams, this, this would help to uh, allow for some gate. Then you think okay. about companies like Live Nation who are built around 
you know, the concert business is you need attendees, obviously. Maybe this is an opportunity to start getting some some concerts on the road. So Chris, Brandon, before, think, hold on, before we get okay. to that, though, I mean, on the on the experience issue, I mean, the sound is important. I don't think viewing the quality of play to view the quality of play, the sound adds a lot of element. When they first started playing these, these matches in the Bundesliga and you heard the echo of the coach, that was a very negative experience as they layered on either sound in the stadium, which is probably good for the players or actually piped it in as you're watching, it made the experience much better. And I think even at 25% capacity, getting some type of noise in those stadium is going to be better for the players. But that's a whole different issue than what Brandon's talking about as far as the gate, which is probably a much bigger issue. Well, well but hold on. Before we go back to gate for a second, is 25% capacity, does that actually – I wonder if that's going to create enough noise or you're still going to have to pipe in. Because how empty is it going to sound? With and, it's, and, like, it's like every baseball game will be the 17th inning. When, when there's people who've been there like five hours, they're the only remaining people. Or like, or like a Florida Marlins game. <laughs> yeah, or that. Yeah. So if you took 50,000 people times 25%, like 12,000 people can make a lot of noise. That's like a college football type of, of fans. I mean, you, I've been to, to oh, matches that's... where they block out the top and it's just people in the lower ring. It's, it's, you know. And by the way, they will amplify. Seattle, you don't think Seattle amplifies the noise at that stadium? They'll, they'll take the fans and then they'll amplify it. You know what? The speakers. Good, that, that's a good point. You know like what it idea. is? Guys, it's the XFL. Did you watch those games? They, those were probably like 10% full. <laughs> we're like the Marlins. <laughs> right, okay, sorry, so let's, go, let's go back to no, the no, baseball. No. Sorry. So, no, no. So, so here's the issue. NBA, NHL, the seasons were basically, they were 80% done. The players basically had made their money. If they resume the playoffs, you basically have essentially a full season. Maybe you lose a few games, but no one's really taking pay cuts for the NBA uh, or the NHL. So when those sports both this week talking about coming back and restarting in July and having their playoffs run through September, the, the math from a player standpoint certainly makes sense. Baseball's problem is twofold. One, the season's being cut in half. So you have half your revenue disappearing right there. And then the second piece, Brandon, which ties into what you were talking about, is gate matters a lot. Merch matters a lot. And for so you're talking yeah. about, right, so for specifically for baseball, relative to the media rights, it's a much greater percentage. And so players are not taking, you know, just a 50% haircut. It's a much greater haircut because of that. And so the question, Brandon, Here, is... Here's, here's the thing, though, Rich. Baseball, I don't care how much is being lost on both sides. They need to get this done. Baseball has, because baseball has been struggling as, as a sport in terms of popularity as it is, um, they, they probably cannot afford another interruption. If anything, this was an opportunity for them to get some airtime when fans were excited to watch any sports and potentially get in before the other sports resumed because it's not even, it's not really a contact sport in most cases, and they just can't get it done. That's number one. Number two is- Right, this, this was gonna be the no brainer sport to come back, right? Absolutely. This would be obvious. And baseball also has been talking about rule changes and other forms of experimentation. This was the season that they could have experimented with whatever they wanted to and test and test it out, what makes the game better and what doesn't. And now they're also giving up that opportunity. Both sides of the coin here, but the, the players and the owners are being myopic. And it's going to affect how much they can earn in the future. 
for, for both parties. That second, that second point is, is absolutely crazy in my mind, right? You're right, that they had this, it's like a window of opportunity for them to screw around with using technology and making the sport more interesting. And yeah. like, they're the, wasted an opportunity to try and, it's just amazing to me. The, <laughs> yeah. the, lead, the leadership for that sport, uh, again, on, on both sides, um, is poor. <laughs> and yet. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, I, I, as much as I like Kobe Clark yeah. when he was a Met, whatever. How do, you, how do you explain this? I mean, look, this is a Twitter poll, and there's obviously the caveats. It's 3,800 votes, and it's Twitter. Could it be people from overseas? Could be – I mean, we have no idea who these 3,800 people are and what the cross-section is. But no, no one's surprised by the NFL at 8%, just given the fandom of the N yeah. NFL. So that's obvious. But The I, NBA I guess is crazy. I because you think about it, it's like always like, okay, NFL up here. And then, and it's like 1A, NBA is 1B, and then you get to 2 and 3, right? It's I, just I, shocking, right? There's, yeah, a, lot, there's, a, lot, there's a lot of anti-NBA people out there. It just is what it is. I, but it is surprising that NHL would, would rank at the top here. The only thing I would say to a little bit is Twitter does skew a little older. Right. So maybe that plays into it. Maybe there's, you know, one of the biggest proponents of NBA are youths. And so maybe there's a little bit of, of age bias in these numbers. I, again, who knows? I would I would have thought that the NHL would have been over 50 percent, given the. Well, it's always kind of been the, the fourth sport, but who knows? Okay, so we're going to Disney World. So Disney's opening this, or is opening July 11th. Disney's going to open, and you know that was sort of big news this week. They're going to open up essentially a, six weeks after Universal Studios. I, I think they're essentially going to get a kind of a let Universal be the guinea pig. But what I thought was interesting, and you know, Walt, I know you're a huge fan of going to Disney World, but the the going back. No one's surprised about taking temperatures to go in. I mean, Iger's talked about that in one of the earliest interviews he did on this whole thing, that that was going to be a requirement. But I think what gets more interesting in terms of the Disney experience is face coverings are going to be required on property at all times for guests and employees. But then this is the one that really starts to get, you know, um, problematic, I think, from a guest experience standpoint. No high touch experiences. So no meet and greets. None of the like character experiences that you're used to, no parades, no fireworks, basically any events on property that causes crowds to gather will be banned until further, further notice. That just seems like everything that makes Disney Disney, like you go to Universal for great rides or great adventure for great rides, but what you go to Disney for is sort of the experience of Disney and It'll be interesting to see whether there's probably pay. some similar there's some similarities to to these sporting events at 25%. Like yep. a great thing is, is to go into a sporting event is a packed a packed venue. The excitement right. Disney has that same feeling where it's I mean that's not great when it's packed because people are pumping into you all the time. So there are some benefits of being empty, but not having the fireworks and some of those the Disney experiences that make it magical, Rich. That, yeah. <laughs> that, no, are, I, that, that are that are not there. The temperature thing obviously is not a big deal. The, ma the mask thing, though, I mean, dude, it gets pretty hot in Orlando. Like wearing a mask around for the entire day, that's that's going to be rough. That would be very 95 humid wearing a mask, and you're going to be even you know 
the, the thing is, like, they opened the World of Disney store this week at Disney Springs. So this is just the shopping area. This is outside of the, the, the inside, the actual theme parks. People waited online with a mask to go shopping for three hours in the heat. And it just, you know, I wonder, week one, two, three, I'm sure the park is going to be packed to whatever capacity they allow it to, just because there's enough locals with annual passes that want to go back and support the park and our Disney fanatics. I think the question is, is would you fly, would you drive across the country for your family vacation, knowing you had to wear a mask and knowing that all of the sort of yeah. experiences aren't going to be there? And at least yeah, so far, no, thing, no, I, I think no word on discounting. JetBlue talked about they expect uh, vacation and consumer travel to come pr back pretty quickly. They, they question business travel. Uh, I don't know about the flying, but again because I think maybe we'll see a quicker recovery than, than people believe on that one. But, um, but again, to your point, sitting in- But the bar days, is high, right? You, if you're gonna spend the money to fly someplace and stay at a hotel True. and spend five days there, you, you want a really good experience for your kids. So Brandon, are you surprised that you can go to Disney World that you know, theoretically there'll be 20,000 people at Disney World in August, but yet we can't have a, a music festival in August? I don't think Live Nations tried to have a music festival in August in Florida, right? I mean, this is this is a, this is a state by state thing, right? Um, so you're saying because the again, music festival like, happened. Like we said with Texas, the country is going in the direction that things are opening up and they're opening up, you know, pretty quickly, quickly, um, and uh, <laughs> good one. Yeah, and um, and I think concerts are going to come back to a certain extent as well. By the way, we're sitting here recording this, and across Bloomberg, I can't help but notice it. It says that New York City will be opening on June eighth. Nice, except for the restaurants. Well, yeah, the re obviously, but but there will be construction. No. Return to uh, last tweet of the day to talk about. Instagram is going to finally let influencers actually make money off their videos with tips in the form of badges. So basically you can buy a badge to support. This is something that we've seen a lot of the Asian services do uh, in terms of social media. We've seen things like you now do it early in the US, but Instagram has- I mean, tipping, Look, tip, tipping is big on Twitch, right? Um, and it makes sense. This is all about uh, live videos, so they're going to use the business models that the revenue models that work to get people to to use that platform. Influencers aren't going to use that platform to live stream if they could make money on on Twitch or somewhere else live streaming. Right, but what's sort of amazing about it, right, is that people have been pushing Facebook and Instagram to do this for a long time. This is not a new push. I mean, IGTV's been around for a while and. We sort of said, we thought IGTV was dead. I mean, literally, we were like, basically put a fork in it, it's over and done with. Well, I, I think the explosion of live, um, of live streaming that Mark talked a lot about on, on the Q1 call is, is what spurred this. Because there's, an there's clearly an opportunity there. They want it to continue post-COVID, so they need to incentivize uh, creators to, to stay on their platform and not migrate elsewhere. I think what's sort of staggering though, is that this sort of just shows you when Facebook wants to put an army of people 
to do something and push a product out quickly. I mean, it really seems like in six, eight weeks, Facebook went from nowhere on commerce to they've got a shopping experience. They've got people, you know, tipping creators on Instagram. Like they moved fast to pivot, you know, and advertising starting to come back and do better. But in order to kind of bridge the gap and take advantage of the opportunity, it really shows the ability of Facebook yeah. to innovate very, very quickly. Is it possible they were worried that there are some of their content creators were moving to TikTok and not really wanting to engage on their platform. So they wanted to have another incentive to keep them there? Oh, I think 100%. I think this is all about trying to, the more money you can make on the platform, the better. I mean, I think there is no doubt if you looked at what happened with Snapchat, right? Like, but my point is in terms move? of why now, I mean, TikTok seems like it's really kind of taken off in yep. Corona. You got a broadening of the audience um, as people are stuck at home and discover this thing, which is, again, I think a phenomenal service in terms of the stuff that's on there. Um, maybe it's just a response to that. They've, they've seen a... a a quick change in, in what's going on there in the last two months. How do we create more stickiness to our service and sure. not let people leave? Because like we saw with Snapchat, a lot of creators went right from Snapchat over to Instagram when Instagram stories launched and there was more ways to monetize that influencer model. And now with IGTV and, and donating or tipping as it's called, um, just a new way to make money. And so, yeah, this could be making sure that they don't lose that same benefit they got from snap they don't lose that over to tiktok over the course of the next 12 months especially given the as you said the explosion of usage i think that makes a ton of sense in terms of timing as well what brandon, else brandon? we got nothing else we're done That's brandon, it. Do you, brandon do you even use tiktok at all you never no. comment on it when i you gotta get on there man it's hilarious i i mean i just don't like comedy I mean, there's a and lot there's of way more stuff than comedy. There. Yeah. I know. There's way what, more than comedy. There's good animal stuff I, too. No, I, I go on there occasionally. And, okay. And, and look quick, occasionally. quick story, Walt, just because it ties to your point. My 10 year old walks into me last night and says, Daddy, I have to have a TikTok account. She doesn't have TikTok. I go, Why do you need a TikTok account, Daddy? There is the cutest animal videos anywhere on the internet. Yeah, I have amazing. to have TikTok for baby animals. It's amazing. It's amazing. True story. Last night, literally last night at dinner. All right, can we please get this on a podcast? We're working on it. I mean, this is what our users want. Okay. We're, We're going to listen it. to it. Rest up, everyone. everyone. It's been a long, short week. <laughs>